STEM students helping NASA return to the moon. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Chad Rowe, aerospace engineer and project manager for the Artemis Student Challenges at NASA and acting manager, NASA Space Grant Project. Welcome, Chad. Hey, thank you. Good to be with you. So you've actually been with NASA a long time. Give us a brief summary of your journey there. So I actually started as a University of Minnesota student in the co-op program is what it was called then. I started in summer of 1991, and that was actually a program that's called Pathways Now that you go to school for a semester and then you come home and you go back and forth over the course of four or five assignments. So I actually delayed my graduation, but the upside of that is it was the best way to get into the agency back at that time. And so from there, I went on to do integration projects for space shuttle and space station, uh, many years in the space station program. And I'm now on a temporary assignment at NASA headquarters, but with the pandemic, I'm sitting in a telework in my rental house in Capitol Hill. Um, but before that, I spent two years living in Moscow, Russia. So the two years in Russia, and I'm just finishing up one year here in Washington, D.C., has been with my wife and two children with me. Tell us about NASA's Artemis program. What's the mission? So the mission itself is to bring humans back to the moon. So this will be the first woman and the next man. And the goal is to have this happen by 2024. And it's what's really cool, a couple things, is the name of the program, Artemis. Well, Artemis was actually the twin sister of Apollo, which is, of course, relevant based on the, the lunar missions in the late 60s and early 70s. But also, and I was told this earlier today, exactly one year today was the public announcement by the NASA Administrator Jim Bridenstine that the new program would be called Artemis. So it's a series of all of the technical infrastructure that will be necessary to return humans to the moon and return to the moon sustainably and to build the capabilities to eventually shift to human missions to Mars and perhaps further out in decades to come. What are the Artemis student challenges and what role do they play in kind of the broader uh, aspect of the program? That's a good question. So there are several types of student challenges. I'll just summarize a couple of them. Uh, some are opportunities for, let's say, intermediate teams in order to do systems engineering, learn about the technologies, and then to have a capstone event where they do something like launch, launch a rocket, um, ride a human-powered rover through an obstacle course, uh, practice mining, regular simulated regular, regular simulating soil on the moon and Mars, and, and things to that effect. And then on the top end, I'll say top end only because typically to be extremely competitive, it, it's typically the top tier teams, but on the top end, there's a challenge called Big Idea Challenge, which is a joint venture between the office that I'm in this year called the Office of STEM Engagement, which is a NASA headquarters office, and the Space Technology Mission Directorate. So that does a few things. One is the Space Technology Mission Directorate can define all the thematics 
where the teams can actually build capabilities that are of direct use to NASA for Artemis and, and active missions. So for the current year, there's eight teams competing to build and develop technologies that will be used in the permanently shaded regions of the moon, which a vast majority of the water is thought to be. And so those are competitions where the solution sets and the technologies could immediately go back to the technologists at NASA and the architects at NASA and go straight into the designs for how these missions will transpire. But the other ones I mentioned are just as important because there's only one way to get to the point where you can compete at an extremely high level, and that's to learn and do things with your hands and learn how to innovate and integrate technologies in order to do more and more elaborate things. So it's just as important to get students excited about opportunities that they could do. So some of the early opportunities are large-scale rocket launches. So, of course, NASA has been launching rockets for quite some time, but in order to learn how to do it and the technologies around it with such an exciting event of the day that you get to launch, that is a way to get the students excited, to get their contributions directly linked with what NASA wants, and hopefully get those students to participate at higher levels as they progress in their education and their career, or um, just to get them onboarded to the point where they want to stay involved with NASA. We talk a lot in terms about the next generation STEM workforce. And so it's just as successful from the perspective of our office if we get students excited, even if they get excited exercising technologies that are already well known at NASA. But if it gets them to the point where they want to learn more and more and eventually work for NASA or a contractor or do things like you're doing right now and making it exciting for common people around the world, then that is considered a success from our perspective. How have the teams that you talked about and, and the competition contributed uh, to, to NASA missions so far? I have a really good example that's a fairly recent example. And those who are familiar with NASA's challenges have probably already come across this story. But there's a community college near Houston, Texas called Lone Star College. And they competed in a competition that's called Micro-G Next, which also before each competition year looks for relevant thematics that will be directly helpful to NASA centers or mission directorates and so on and so forth. Well, one of the focal areas from last year's competition was to design a zip tie cutter. So when you think of zip ties, you're just thinking about you know, things that your parents, your tinkers, aunts, uncles, whoever has in the garage, and just to cut it. And if you played with them before, it's not exactly easy to cut such a thing, especially if it's wrapped tightly around cables or something like that. And so this community college team from the Houston area uh, designed and brought this concept to NASA and the concept was then handed over to spacewalk engineers in order to make sure that all of the safety requirements and so on were met but essentially their design went to the International Space Station and was used in some spacewalks to prepare the alpha magnetic spectrometer for servicing that it was never originally designed to be serviced so these students directly contributed to what will very likely end up 
being a vast extension in the lifetime of this very important instrument from the perspective of discovering antimatter, dark matter, and other you know, very top-end things that I don't understand as an engineer. I'm not a scientist myself. But it's really exciting to be able to, to show these students to see the excitement in their eyes and then to, to know that they specifically feel like they were part of the mission and they know exactly how their contributions were used. We had video of the spacewalks that show the use of this gizmo. And then we were able to make sure that they understood in the big picture how this contributes. So that's a good example of how a team can directly contribute to NASA's mission. You mentioned you were a student engineer when you and NASA first met. What are some of the differences between your early work and with NASA compared to, I don't know, maybe today, how Artemis generation students yeah. would do so? I think it's clear that the interconnectivity. When, when I first arrived, well, when I was actually in the university still, I was learning programming with a Fortran 77 compiler, which means it was a version of Fortran that was used literally in 1977. Now, it was an electronic compiler and not a, a card compiler, but it was right at the cusp of going from the way things were done at the very beginning of technology or technology as we know it today on a migratory path toward where we are now. So that's one example. I had email. It was only available when I was on a connected computer, either at the University of Minnesota or at NASA. Um, in order to reach people, telephone calls were the main ways to go. Um, my CAD class at school, the, only the last week was in front of a computer. The first 12 or 14 weeks was literally with a drawing kit where we were making isometric drawings on vellum and graphite in order to build designs that would then go over to those who could machine or build or assemble such things. So I think I was pretty close to the transition from the way engineering used to happen to the way engineering happens right now. If a student or educational professionals want to participate in future student challenges, um, how do they go about getting engaged, Chad? So one good place to start is a website that we have that's simply, and it's as simple as a website can get, I guess, it's, it's not going to be rolling off my tongue super easily, but it's STEM, S-T-E-M, dot NASA, N-A-S-A, dot gov, G-O-V, forward slash Artemis, A-R-T-E-M. I and that will bring folks to the current challenges that are available. And there's also links to a bunch of other activities and ways to get involved or links to resources that are part of the larger spectrum. But this specific website that I just gave you the link to is focused on the existing challenges. And then the other thing that I would, for people who are extremely interested, I would urge them to go and have a look at a NASA press release that came out last Thursday, where six new space grant entities were awarded awards that will assist to bring in more and more students at different levels of skill and try to get to the point where nationwide, anybody who wants to get involved will have pathways in order to get involved. And that was our main focus as we went about doing that. So let's say you're 
in a rural part of Idaho, just randomly throwing out Idaho, and there isn't an aerospace class, there isn't a science museum close to you, there isn't a mentor looking to pull in students, but there are ways through these new awards where those students can learn about things like multi-body gravitational forces, um, some core online coursework that's very, very foundational to what's needed to be known in order to contribute to Artemis. Um, scaling up to possibilities to actually do hands-on work with some kids, some computer and sensor kids, all the way to the point where they may be able to participate in some new, new challenges. We actually have two awards for two new pilot challenges that once those are fully understood and, and the finer details are worked out, that we intend to take those and scale them for nationwide participation where these examples I was giving before where science museums or schools or any interested folks could take the specifics about those challenges, replicate them and host them on their own turf. So it's hopefully gonna be a way to bring NASA relevant coursework, relevant technologies and, and hands-on activities closer to as many humans as we can. And if somebody wants to connect with you personally, Chad, how can they do that? They can email me directly. I'm at chad, C-H-A-D, dot R, as in Robert, but it's just the R, dot ro, R-O-W-E, at nasa.gov, N-A-S-A, dot G-O-V. Thanks again for joining us, Chad. What a great program. And that was Chad Brown, aerospace engineer and project manager for the Artemis Student Challenges at NASA and acting manager, NASA Space Grant Project. Um, and you can find more of my interviews right here or go to tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.